On this episode, I'll finally, finally finish the November challenge and hand you a new one. I'll do a short look back over the last year and I will talk to Ibarionex Perello about his visual workflow. This is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 851 for January the 3rd, 2019. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right, from the top floor. All right, let's get this going. How are you guys doing? This is Chris and I have two things on today's show for you. The first one is uh, look at one of the more crazy years. Of course, it's the end of the year, so you cannot get around that. Uh, if you want to, there's a chapter mark and you can jump forward, but then you'll miss all the goodies in there. And then, of course, I have a guest on the show, and it's Ibarion Perello. He is a good friend of mine, and he's been on the show several times before, and I want to discuss a visual workflow with him. So, that's it. 2018 has been quite a high-speed, high-powered year, which, yeah... I've been ramping up a lot of things in 2018. You know, sometimes a lot of things just take a while to come together. And 2018 was one of those years where a lot of things came together that uh, some of them had a lot of like lead time. And yeah, also a pretty varied year. Didn't keep me bored in any way. Um, So let me just pick out a few of the bigger chunks. Um, Chronologically, that's probably the easiest way. March was probably one of the most exciting months most adventurous things that I've done in a long time. In March, I went to Norway and I sailed the ocean from Tromsø in uh, northern Norway, straight up, straight north to Svalbard, which is fairly close to the North Pole, uh, on that two-mast schooner, the Norderlicht, with uh, Flores and uh, and Marielle, the two owners, and several others on board. Uh, That was very exciting. And if you haven't seen the videos yet, I'm definitely going to link those again in the show notes. Um, very exciting few days at sea and then some more days on board the ship which I spent working on reviewing the English translation for the Wide Angle book and also spent time uh, on working on the second edition of the German issue of our film photography handbook which then came out later so uh, yeah busy busy time there but a lot of fun and I managed to squeeze a few videos for you out there again links in the show notes Um, March, April April, and we'll do this again in 2019, uh, one of my favorite workshops here in Germany, the Film Extreme Workshop in Berlin, um, where we partner with a photo lab. They have a big, big, like, it's a separate room kind of uh, color negative development machine. And uh, that's just a beautiful piece of indestructible industrial technology where the film hangs from rails and gets dipped into the development tanks and uh, which are open towards the top and it's a really kind of a, a cool thing um, there's a video of course in the show notes about that managed to shoot some video there um, and that was April May May New York tilt shift workshop is kind of the big one that sticks out there um, which I'm really excited about that Canon invited me to host this workshop it was a great experience met a lot of great people and then had a all-round good time um, not just meeting everyone holding the workshop, also playing with Canon's new tilt shift lenses, uh, which was definitely a bonus there. And of course, there's a bit of a video, more of a slideshow thing on uh, YouTube. Um, link is in the show notes. Uh, then May also brought the annual Klostergeister workshop, which is a workshop in the old Abbey, which I've done for 
15 years now. And it also brought the Schlossgespenster workshop. I think you'd call, translate that into castle ghosts. Anyway, weird name for those who don't speak German. Um, yeah, 15 times Klostergeister. I think it's the third time in the other castle, which was, yeah, again, this is Germany. We have them all around, castles everywhere. <laughs> and <laughs> well, this, one is, this, is, this one is actually special because it's really medieval. And uh, it's just fun. Just a fun place. Big, big photography playground. Um, uh, general, general fun on those workshops. Of course, there's a video. Um, it's just a short drone video of like a photo session. They, <laughs> they did a portrait session on the highest spire of the castle, right on the top. And I have this little like, under one minute short video that shows you, gives an impression on the setting of the castle from the outside, which is very impressive if you haven't seen that. So link is in the show notes, of course. Um, and then throughout the entire year, there was like several several film photography workshops here in the Viewfinder Villa and uh, also non-film-related workshops about design, about light, about people photography. Um, unfortunately, all in German. Um, yeah, there, there's. I'm still working. I, I did this in the past. I did English language workshops here in Germany, but the market just seems to be too small. Unless people are willing to travel and come over here and might do, I don't know. I've, I had this I had this idea in my mind uh, for the longest time to offer like a Germany photo tour, but you can't, it, it's hard to get around without losing too much time on the road. So it would have to be more of a city tour of sorts. Maybe, uh, a Berlin photo tour with Berlin and its environment, or a Hamburg photo tour. Um, but yeah, I've I've no idea how much interest there is. If any of you would be interested in something like this, I'd be happy to organize something. But of course, it has to be viable, right? You ha have to make it work somehow uh, financially. And uh, yeah, people probably would have to travel to Germany for that. And uh, yeah, tell me, let me know. Th there's this voice line that you can. Maybe talk into your phone and send it voice at tfttf.com. Uh, so that was May, April, June, July, August, like most of the summer. I actually spent writing. Um, we finished the second edition of the German film photography handbook, which included lots of research and updating lists and adding new content and including new photography. It's like a new book. Um, I don't know how much of that will make it into the English translation. I don't have much influence over that. So um, it's for the US publisher, for Rocky Nook to decide. Um, of course, <laughs> if a lot of people tell them we want the updated version. Yeah, just a hint. Uh, no, it, at this point, there are no plans for updating the English translation, which is in itself is a, is a cool book. Um, we just kind of updated it because of, it's now... It's now three years old and it just um things things interestingly enough in the analog landscape in the film landscape things change there's a lot of news and a lot of new developments and films coming on the markets films going away um yeah just a whole bunch of new information that changes every day um and then the new book release again something that took years in the in the preparation and then finally made it to the United States uh the the wide angle book of course is what I'm talking about uh links in the show notes 
um which yeah i'm really proud of that one because it was such a such a difficult process to get to the point where I, i was really happy and the publisher was really happy um this is also my second book that was translated from german to english and came out in august this year or this year 2018 uh and yeah thanks everyone everyone out there thank you so much for leaving a review on amazon which is kind of important um it's really appreciated and if, if you have if you have the book and you haven't done so yet those reviews are 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 a very important signal not just to myself i mean it Of course, it strokes my ego. I'm very happy to see good reviews. Um, I'm also happy to see critique. Uh, if you find a typo, send me an email. I'll make sure that it gets in the in the next uh, issue. If there's a reprint, um, we can put in, uh, fix some typos and stuff. Um, but it, those reviews are also a really important signal for the publisher. If they see good reviews, by actual customers and if you bought the book let's say on amazon you can it'll your review will say verified purchase or something along those lines um and then the next time the publisher needs to make a decision like for or against a translation of a book those reviews will make or break that decision they will base at least part of their decision on uh on how engaged the community is because that's a really important thing for publishers these days so uh, you can totally influence uh, future decisions of the publisher by being vocal about if you like the book or what you would change or just be vocal that's important uh, engagement is a really important measure for the publisher uh okay that was mid-year Uh, photo tour in August, Ireland's Northwest, Game of Thrones, uh, slightly Game of Thrones themed. We went to the Giant's Causeway. We went to the Dark Hedges early morning, <laughs> almost at night to get there before the tourists, which was a very a cool, a, a cool exercise. Um, Love the photo that came out, even though the Dark Hedges have been photographed a gazillion times. But it's, it's still, I mean, in general, Ireland is just one of my favorite locations that I've returned to so many times now and I'm planning to return there in the future looking at uh, actually going back with a west coast uh, Ireland's west coast Atlantic coast themed photo tour in 2020 um, we're working on that so keep your fingers crossed that everything will work out that it's it's if, if it works out we'll start in Galway and make our way up The Wild Atlantic Way, that's what they call the West Coast, with like a ton of amazing photo ops there. Great landscapes, great people, great beer, great food. Everything is amazing about Ireland. I just love Ireland. Uh, September, Lofoten, Fantastic Fjords, um, another one of my favorite places. I just love the North. I just love Norway. It. I'll go back there uh, in February on a ship to experience Northern Norway, not only in winter, but also from the water, which I really haven't done that much in the past. So uh, that is also still. Um, I'm I'm not sure if the places if the seats are all sold. Um, this is two tours with twelve guests each. So yeah, we'll have to figure that out. Um, the, the 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 company that I work with there do all the booking, so I don't really. No, I should have asked. 
Anyway, check it out. They they will tell you it's full if it's full. Um, yeah, that's in February. Uh, Beef. Well, um, oh, back, back to back to 2018. Uh, completely unrelated thing to photography, but also something that has kept me busy, and that is uh, near and dear to my heart is my mom's website, which um, she has. Like 23 years ago, she's been diagnosed with celiac disease, which is uh, the disease that you can not cure, but you can mitigate its effects by changing your. Uh, your um the food that you eat and that that's that's the gluten thing right she has uh celiac disease and she can't eat gluten otherwise she'll be really miserable and um at one point back then when she didn't have the diagnosis took her three years to get the diagnosis and she lost weight like you wouldn't believe we thought she would be gone one day just disappear uh, but yeah they found out Nowadays, those diagnoses are better, and she found out, and she um, was devastated because she loves to cook, she loves to eat, and that, in, in her mind, that was <laughs> that was pretty much over at that point. But um, of course, uh, she's my mother; I'm her son, so she she was being positive about it and started to take her recipes and transform them into gluten-free recipes, and we gave her a website back then to give her a, a, an outlet to publish her recipes like a little php mysql based um t- uh, content management system a cms and uh yeah that was 2004 and uh, she's been testing and uploading like crazy and uh it's been a great success three books came came out of that so that's uh, one of the areas where i get my first experience with publishing a book um at at this point it's like almost 1200 recipes on there they're in german but um it google translate does a good job in translating them even though you might not be able to to get some of the ingredients um but yeah the, the thing is this website has been updated only like slightly over the time gradually from a tech point of view 2004 so it's a, it's 14 years old um, it wasn't responsive, like it wouldn't look good on mobile devices, which is a bit of an issue when over two-thirds of your website visitors are on smartphones and tablets. So it was time to revamp the whole thing. And uh, now I did write the software for the first iteration on the website and I kept it up to date. But, you know, again, PHP, MySQL, database, CMS stuff. But I didn't have the time to do it this time around. So I hired a, a programmer and work with him for a couple of months and uh the new site is now up and doing great and we got it out just in time for the holidays because that's where like the bulk of the traffic happens um and it's interesting germany is big at making christmas cookies and uh then there's this big big christmas dinner and uh and you you can see this in the website traffic for a cookbook baking cooking book related website it's really the october november december is is skyrocketing and then after christmas i mean really the day after christmas it just plummets down by like 50 percent. nobody nobody wants to think about food for a while um uh yeah january being kind of the lowest traffic month <laughs> really interesting to watch these patterns initially when it's happened for the first time i was really scared like okay don't people like the website anymore but it repeats every year it's very reliable 
And of course, photography comes in there because uh, photography is important. If you want to get your recipes noticed, you'll need photos. Um, if you want them to be to look nice in uh, Google search results, you need photos. Um, you need a lot of metadata, like inside the recipes that help search engines, especially Google, to to present them well, to uh, understand what the ingredients are and what the what the preparation uh, is, and 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 that kind of stuff. So um, there's a lot of tech under the hood to make this all work well and if you search on a mobile phone and you run into my mother's recipes they will now look just just wonderful so that that again uh, photography for those recipes is important and it's a really interesting mix of photography because there's some old photos of food in there that i took back in 2004 and you can tell because uh i have my photography has grown over over the years it has become better um, and then second, uh, there are a few professional photos from like people who have been in the food photography business for years. And uh, my mother has like written for some magazines and, and for the cookbooks. And uh, some of the photography that we have in, in the online version is, uh, is from those. And then uh, my mother has has become quite good at shooting photos of her food now um she's been on my one of my workshops and she's learned a lot and she knows what good light is now and uh so she's doing a lot of the photos lately she has switched over to taking those photos with her iphone which ends ends up being like the photos just they are just good from a contrast point of view from the colors point of view uh so the the technical side is almost sorted now and uh, I'm quite happy with how things come out there with a smartphone. Who would have thought? Um, so that was in September. October brought me to Morocco. Again, not long ago, I told told you all about here, all about this here on the show. But um, again, it was beyond my wildest imagination. Uh, what a diverse landscape there. Awesome people. Uh, some areas where it was really easy to get photos of people, some a bit more challenging, but overall just like a wonderful experience. Amazing photography from like everything, the souks, the kasbahs, the green hills, miles and miles of olive trees, uh, the Sahara Desert, the coast, uh, the sea. Like Morocco has it all and uh, so many beautiful ornaments and things. And uh, yeah, link, link to some photos in the show notes. Um, and then fall. I came home again, and my time fall was kind of packed a bit more than tight, more tightly than I'd like it to be, because I, just a couple of days after returning from Morocco, I went mean, literally like three days, I think, after that, I took off again um, to Rochester, New York, and I visited the School of Photography. Uh, oh, this, okay, that's the official title: School of Photographic Arts and Sciences, I think, at uh, the Rochester Institute of Technology. I spent a day with their assistant professor, Ted Kinsman, and did some great stuff around high-speed photography. And uh, again, there are videos online. Link is in the show notes. Um, there's one video that I just released, uh, which came out of that, which we did on Halloween. It's kind of a straggler, but uh, it's on now. Little high-speed videography pumpkin smashing uh, action, which is fun. Uh also, we did the uh, like 
we dropped Scrabble letters uh, with high-speed flash to to capture them like hovering in the air, which is part of that video series. Um, and uh, Ted Kinsman just wrote an article about exactly that on Petapixel, big photography blog. If you're not uh, familiar with it, and we yeah, it, it's on there. It has me on the title. <laughs> it's fun and it links to the video. Yay! I'm finally famous now. Uh, <clears throat> what else did I do? Well, there were a couple of corporate workshops throughout the year. I've uh, been hired to stand in front of uh, employees of companies and help them become better, not just photographers, but be better designers, better composers. I mean, if you, uh, one of them was a, was an advertising agency and uh, if you if you do graphic design and if you incorporate photos and fonts and stuff, then that requires to do it's the same kind of requirements that you need when you when you do a, when you take a photo. You know, when you take a photo, you always juggle what is in the photo, where is it placed, or where do I place it? Um, what's the contrasts and uh, the light gonna look like uh as a photographer these are the things you juggle but if you're a graphic designer you juggle exactly the same things you have a page and on that page or you have a, a box of whichever shape and then you have different things that you want to place in there how do you place them how do you um space them from each other what do you include what don't you include what are the colors what's the well light in that Context would be contrast. How do you? Uh, what is the background? Very similar requirements. So if you are a good photographer, you you should, in theory, also be a good graphic designer or um, architects. The same thing. You have a if if you plan a building, of course you have to have the have the um, the layout to. To, to make sure people feel well in that building, the rooms, uh, the amount of rooms and stuff is right. But then if you look at the outside of the building, that is also a composition job, right? You have to put windows somewhere and they have to work with each other. And then there's a roof line and there's a second part of the building. How, does those, how do those interact? How do you, how do you um, place a window and several on, on one plane so they look nice and balanced or deliberately unbalanced so we, we have very similar requirements between different jobs and um, that's the kind of corporate workshops that i do i kind of make people aware of that and uh, teach them and and give them the the tools to make all these decisions uh well more founded more founded in facts more founded in uh in how perception works how cognition works and how all this comes together so yeah co companies hire me to do these things and then last but not least in december uh we finally released the second was it december no oh, i think it was earlier than that anyway the second print run of the german wide angle book no it wasn't december uh came out because um the first the first uh edition was sold out was beginning to get sold out in December and for the holidays the German publisher here Depunkt decided to do a second print run we fixed some typos and the second print run is out and uh, that will carry us to 
Well, we're already looking at what to do with this book in the future. Again, German version of that, but we're looking at how can we update it for like a real second edition, not just a print run, but an entirely new edition with new information, some changes. Uh, while I'm really happy with it, you know, <laughs> like with any creative project, and you know this, if you use Lightroom or anything, you work on your photo, and you have, at one point, you just have to make a decision to stop working on it. You have to decide when it's finished. If you don't do that, you will never finish work. So you, at one point, you have to go, okay, I know I could spend another two hours and possibly make it better, but no, it's got to be the product. You have a finishing line, that's it. That's done. Uh, you can still revisit it later, like, for example, Ansel Adams did. He reprinted the same photos over and over again with different, like, he learned different things and then he applied them to the same photos, which gives an interesting overview over his development over the years, but the pun not intended. But it, it yeah, a creative project like a book, you have to get to the point where you say, okay, I can proofread it another 500 times and I will probably still find a typo, but hey, this is now done and we'll update it like in its own project. So that's what is sooner or later going to happen. Anyway, that was my 2018. It was a really exciting year. Tons of things coming together. Uh, 2019, I have, I have a suspicion that 2019 is going to... Uh, to be relatively boring compared to that because um, there are a few things in the pipeline but none that big and uh, I also have I have a photo tours of course on the website on discoverthetopfloor.com um, le- making a note here um, to put this in the show notes of course and uh, yeah, they are there are like four or five different things on there. The Lofoten thing on a ship, the Czech Republic, Bohemian Paradise again. End of April is it's kind of cool to 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 finally kind of look at the the more eastern parts of Europe, which I have not really been to that much before. I've been in the Czech Republic, but I never traveled it photographically. And this is a great opportunity. Bohemian Paradise, lots of castles there and, and interesting things to see. The Kyrgyzstan one um, is, yeah, I, I, this is going to be so mind-blowing um, from a landscape point of view, uh, people point of view. That's just, yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's a total no-brainer. When I get the, the opportunity to do that, I jumped on it right away because, yeah, Kyrgyzstan, you might not know about it. It's Again, it's along the along the old Silk Road, and it was a very important part of uh, the, all the goods that were transported from China to Europe and and back. And uh, the land route is just a beautiful country and a very re- very relaxed country as, at that. And then Romania in October 2019, uh, the fall colors in Romania, uh, which. Again, Romania, that's also where Transylvania is, so uh, the whole vampire thing is hangs in the air there. Trust me, there are no vampires there. It's just a, it's just a story. Uh, yeah, that's, again, this year. And then for next year, already planning for, uh, for the year after 2019, 2020, I'm already planning to go back to uh, Lake Baikal, Siberia, because I miss it. I do totally miss 
to be there and we have changed that tour it's not the same that we did twice before but uh, we have some new locations on there uh, different a different way to explore the lake and uh, the area of course we'll drive on the lake in in our uh what are those toyota land cruisers um with professional drivers who know the lake who know how to drive on ice who know how uh how to make this a safe thing for us so yeah that's 2019 other projects again a few things are in the pipeline but um not too many details about that now again compared to 2018 i think 2019 is going to be really boring but of course i'll bring you a podcast episode every week uh at least as good as i can uh the first six weeks of of january i will be in uh new zealand i've told you that before i um i uh, have and monica and i we have planned uh, our routes we have planned our stays we're staying in a a lot of uh, Airbnbs um, across the North and the South Island. So we'll start in Auckland. We'll may, uh, make our way uh, up first and then uh, downwards towards the South Island. I think we'll be about two weeks in the North Island and then four weeks uh, down on the South Island and see a lot of areas. We have planned a few of the attractions, but not that much, to be honest, because uh, that's the way we travel. We have uh three nights here three nights there so we take plenty of time at individual places and then we uh explore from there of course we know a few things we have to pre-book uh, there's a couple a couple of like touristy things on there that you cannot that you can't not do but you know we we prefer things off the beaten track we prefer things that are no not touristy we prefer things where you can't buy postcards <laughs> And that means that uh, we will have a lot of like interaction with locals. Um, we've done this kind of thing before, the bed breakfast route, where we did this in Ireland. And uh, the thing that came out of that was so rewarding because you have contact with locals. You know, if you're in hotels, you don't have that. You are just among yourself. and But staying in houses and usually it's like separate apartments or their own houses but you do get but much better contact with the locals this way and they know things they know things that you don't know um i got an email from a new zealander asking uh if we wanted to visit him because he has two rafts and he has access to a river that we can spend two days on rafting down uh two days one one day uh, on rafting down but uh, two half days with a break in the middle and then uh it's not it's not a, it's not a difficult raft uh rafting trip it's more like a level two uh <laughs> very relaxed kind of thing but yeah just doing that and he and he he explicitly uh asked me to not like tell people where this is because it's one of those new zealanders know it but tourists don't and they i think they do a good, pretty, pretty good job at keeping a lot of the really awesome stuff for themselves um so if you're if you're a kiwi uh, a kiwi and if you uh, have like a few of those secret tips a few of those uh don't tell anyone don't tell anyone about it kind of uh uh tips for us um let me know we'll be online 
as much as we can. We'll have, have like a, a SIM card that should give me at least some reception wherever possible so I can get my emails and stuff. Um, let us know. We're all always open for awesome tips. Um, if you are anywhere near, um, yeah, let's let's have a drink. Let's let's say hello. Uh, I'm not gonna not gonna do an official listener meeting, um, but yeah, let's do let's do a little meetup here and there. I'll be happy to to say hello to uh, to those of you who are kind of nearby when we when we come through. All right, 2019. What is your what are your wishes for 2019? Do you have anything planned? Do you have anything that you any goals? Um, dreams huh dreams uh dreams are there but then do you are you planning to turn any of your dreams into actual goals are you try, trying to make plans about your dreams make a decision to actually go for something is uh, do, do you have anything there um that that you want to tell us about i'd love to hear about your plans for 2019 um photographically but even outside send send me a voicemail uh, voice at tfttf.com again that's voice at tfttf.com and yeah there's a ton of links in the show notes for everything that i just talked about all right on to the challenge which was the <laughs> just the november challenge but we yeah just uh, yeah things just get busy sometimes uh um anyway here we go. I have gone through the photos. You guys are amazing. I, l- I love this. The, there's so much high-quality photography in those challenges now. I I can tell you are you're all you all take this very seriously and I love this because it's the the best way to get off your butt and take new photos. So, I have selected 3. I could have selected easily could have selected more, but those are the 3 that want to specifically talk about um those links some of those links will go to the slack and if you're not a member of the slack i think you have to become one it's uh, the best is if you post a photo for the challenge that you use something like Flickr, something external that makes it just a bit easier to link to but anyway here we go ken cole shows a silhouette of two people walking towards each other uh, in front of an artistic lighting installation in the canary wharf in london and yeah it's a black and white photo um which kind of helps that silhouette thing right it takes distractions out of the photo uh lets you concentrate on the important stuff in this i love the symmetry now the photo it's in itself is not symmetrical but the area where the subjects are they walk towards each other behind them is this light thing and that in itself is a frame around them and they are symmetrical inside that thing. So it's a symmetry within an asymmetry, non-symmetry. And I like this. Um, it kind of throws it slightly off balance. And that's a good thing in this photo. Um, and then the subjects are people, which is always good when people are in the photos. People become subjects. If there's no other people in the photo, just these people, then they become the subject. And uh still while there's plenty of going on there's the lights there's on the trees in the back there's water in the front little fountains in the front but the people make that shot so that combination works really well for me thanks ken for participating adrian chitty chitty c-h-i-t-t-y um 
writes, I'm in the middle, this is an interesting one, I'm in the middle of a three-month rice farming experience working in the same rice field every Thursday in a group of Balinese farmers. So he's in Bali and he's doing rice farming there, which I think is awesome. <laughs> I've been to Asia, I've been to rice fields and this sounds like one of the best things to to just find your inner peace and maybe that's what adrian is doing um so you see a picture there's rice fields in the background there's five people sitting at the bottom of the image with their back to the photographer and it's and they are they're kind of silhouetted uh, silhouetted that's a word um and what makes this, of course, interesting is, first of all, for most of us, this is going to be a different culture, right? This is a different experience. We don't have rice fields where we live. At least I don't, and most of you probably don't either. Um, the five people being, like, nicely spaced in the photo, uh, the number five just feels about right. It's an odd number. It's It also makes one person the center, and that person in the center has a red hat on, which uh, is interesting because it also helps kind of guide there. That red hat in itself contrasts with the green rice fields behind it. So there's a lot of interesting color contrast going on. Um, and it's not full silhouettes. Those five people are like, you see a little bit of detail in the shadows, but it's still like silhouettish enough that I would still call it a silhouette. But the whole thing, and that's what is important, it tells a story. There are five people sitting, watching a rice field. And without uh, Adrian's explanation, you can really let your eye and your, your mind wander and, and fill in the blanks. And that's what uh, I did when I first watched it. It's just interesting. And it's also so different because we're always busy, 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 busy. And then what they do, just sit there, watch the rice grow. I think that's an amazing concept. I should do this here too. And then last but not least, the third photo I've chosen is by Wallace Shackleton. And Wallace writes, Dreich, D-R-E-I-C-H, or Dreck, probably. A Scots word usually associated with the weather and a miserable day at that. Dreck, we have a German word, D-R-E-C-K, and we pronounce it Dreck, which is used by, it literally means dirt. But then you would also use it for something as miserable, something as a dreck. I think uh, the American language has borrowed that as well, um, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, we have <laughs> similar words. Maybe that that is maybe that is the word. It's a black and white photo. Wallace has provided a black and white photo. There's like a tiny little bit of color in the red car lights, very subtle. So a bit of a color key thing going on, but. I mean, this this kind of a gray weather takes all the colors out of things anyway. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a miserable day, as as Wallace wrote. It's a square format, and it has a simple thin white frame around it. And that 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 format, the the square format, often lends itself to coming up with photos that have a very that have some serenity in them. And some something more static. Now, there's not much... Well, it's kind of static in this photo, but it's also it also shows motion because it is shot through a window that has rain on it. So you see the out-of-focus drips in the front. Um, he focused on what's in the scene, not on the window. 
And so you can imagine the water kind of running down in front of the camera. If this was a video, you'd probably see some motion there. There's cars and car lights, so there's certainly some motion there. And then there's a person. There's a person in almost the middle of the frame, a silhouette against the bright reflection on the on the road. And that person has a hood on and a kind of a backpack. It looks almost looks like a child size-wise. It's probably yeah, more... I don't, I'm not sure. It reminds me of kids here in Germany. They have a little backpack on with their books in, and then uh, on the way to school. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's not it. But that's my first association. So uh, Also, the hood is kind of pointed. So <laughs> it kind of almost looks a bit like a garden gnome. <laughs> that would be my association there. Um, and it's the only person in the shot, right? There's nothing, no other person there to compete with it, um, which makes it clearly the subject. There's a central uh, location for it. It's a silhouette because it has that reflection behind it. Um, it's blurry because it's shot through a wet window. So it, it is it is a photo that doesn't show that much, but it all kind of happens in your mind, which I like. And just looking at the photo, I can totally feel how miserable that day must have been. Um, that just, yeah, just translates that miserable, wet, cold feeling. Um, there's also a lot in the photo obscured in the dark, right? You have the sides where it's yeah, just pure black in some areas where uh, maybe some of us might have the impulse when taking that photo or when editing that photo to go, ah, I need to have detail everywhere. No, in this case, that that obscuring of details really helps because it kind of makes it more of a more of a strong statement i think uh, also what that does it's make it makes the kind of a natural vignette right the 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 gaze of you the viewer is being directed towards that middle part of the photo and then you will inevitably end up at that person and that person just by virtue of being a person is always kind of in the center um, so there's no competition there um, when it comes to what is important in a photo and I like that that photo really speaks to me so Ken, Adrian, Wallace thank you so much Any anyone else, everyone who participated in the challenge, great job thanks for participating in this challenge you are amazing, again I could have picked more but it's three and we're up and open for the next challenge. Really Spixie, Matt, Rav Sitar, Armstead, take it away. Hello everyone, Rav Sitar, the Release Pixie here, and it's time for another Slack challenge. So the November 2018 challenge just wrapped up. Uh, we had a bunch of people take part. There's a lot of silhouettes, which is what we were asking for. Everything looks good. Chris will be looking at those hopefully soon, and he'll uh, post those up on the show. The next challenge is going to be a bit different. Um, I'm sure most of you know that Chris is going to spend a big chunk of January and February in uh, New Zealand uh, for a vacation kind of thing. So, uh, and unfortunately, that falls right at the end of what would be the normal challenge. It falls right in that time. And to make that work just didn't smoothly operate with the way Chris is going to do stuff while he's on vacation. So rather than try to squeeze another challenge in, before that or deal with a delay getting the review, we're going to run this next challenge for four months. So it's not gonna be due in January like normal, it's going all the way until March 2019. 
So, and with that, um, we're gonna stretch this out. We're gonna add a little extra element to, to the rules. So this time I want you to go out and the topic of this one is an isolated subject. So however you wanna interpret that and however you wanna isolate, whether you wanna do that with color or depth of field or light, shadow, any of those options. So take a, take a photo with an isolated subject, but here's the part that you have to do. I want you to go out and when you pick that isolated subject, I want you to take 30 photos minimum of that same subject. Not the same photo 30 times. Don't hold down the button on burst mode and rattle off 30, 30 photos in five or six seconds. No, I want you to dig through, look for the best framing, recompose, change your zoom, get closer, further away, crop it, do you know those kind of things. Um, take 30 photos of that subject, and then move on to the next subject if you find something else that you wanna take a photo of that meets this requirement. So process those photos down however you like, but we only want one. Choose a single photo to share, post it up in the Slack, and make sure you give it a name. That's not just the name from the file. And you have until the end of March 2019 to do that. Uh, good luck, everybody, and happy shooting. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. That's so mean. That's so mean. 30 photos. Okay, so the next challenge. No, I totally like this. This is a very good one. Next challenge, isolated subject. But the twist is you have to take 30 photos. Now, again, as Matt said, don't just like shoot 30 photos and be done with it. No, you are supposed to come up with like ways to show this differently. Um, there's so many different ways to isolate a subject, right? You try different things with the same subject. Have an eye on the background because you could have like stuff from the background that interferes with it. You could use shallow depth of fields to isolate it from the background. But uh, if you do that, don't do, do all those 30 photos that way, but try other things as well. Try lots of depth of field. Try the background also being in focus and then recomposing it to, to inco incorporate things and keep the subject isolated i'm i'm curious i'm looking forward to your to your submissions here so uh, here's how you participate if you're already on the slack on the tfttf slack that's where it all happens go to the challenge dash march 2019 channel uh, if not you have to kind of uh, join it but i think most of you now know how to do this um yeah there is its own channel uh, for this challenge and people are already starting to post some photos and um, uh, for I'm going to link to that channel, of course. If you're not on the TFTTF Slack just yet, it's easy to get on there. It's free. Check out tfttf.com slash yslack, tfttf.com slash w-h-y-s-l-a-c-k to get access. It's link. This thing's also going to be in the show notes. And our CIO, Rusty Russ, will be happy to get you on board. And as usual, there are no prizes, no nothing to win other than being having your photo reviewed here on the show um the reason for you to participate is really your own motivation right to motivate yourself from for photography to have a reason to get off your butt and go out and take new photos and as usual don't don't just pull out an old photo from your lightroom catalog take a new one that's what this is about um that's the point here you have until the end of march no the end of february um early March, sometime around early March. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing your entries for the isolated subject challenge. 
Let me say a quick thank you to this week's sponsor, Honeybook. Do you own a small business? Are you frustrated by dealing with back and forth emails, endless paperwork and getting paid? Honeybook.com can help you spend less time handling the administration work and more time doing what you love. Honeybook is an all-in-one business management platform for creative small businesses. Honeybook makes it easy to streamline your process with client and calendar management tools and custom branded brochures, proposals and contracts. You can even get e-signatures generate invoices and get paid faster all within one online system. There's over 75,000 photographers, designers, event professionals and other solo entrepreneurs who have saved hundreds if not thousands of hours a year with Honeybook. And that's why I've partnered with Honeybook.com to offer tips from the top floor listeners 50% off the first year of Honeybook with promo code TOPFLOOR. So get started at Honeybook.com today and use promo code TOPFLOOR for 50% off your first year. Again, that's Honeybook.com, promo code TOPFLOOR. All right, it's time for our guest. I have on the line Ibarionex Perello. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Always good to, to talk with you. It's been too long. <laughs> it's been a long time. Hey, it's so good to have you back on the show. Um, for everyone who hasn't hasn't heard you or read about you or knows about you, you're a photographer, an educator, a book author. Um, and of course, the the way we know each other is through the podcast because you're also a podcaster. Oh, an OG podcaster. OG podcast, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're the old folkies. <laughs> just, just a few of us around now. Um, the Candid Frame is your podcast, and you do interviews on that. Um, you've had like everyone. You've had Gerald Myrovitz, you have Zacharias, Art Wolf, and lots of big names on your podcast. Yeah, as of this weekend, it'll be 450 Holy interviews. Cow. That hit 500 before the end of next year. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> yeah, OG podcasters. If you keep it going, that's the numbers you can get. So uh, that is pretty awesome. Um, I, I've also seen that you have a little a little new thing on your website. Is, is that a little video series, the Olaf and the Baronex thing? Well, it's an experiment. Um, okay. I've been I've been doing the YouTube videos for I think a, a, about a year. Right. And what I was doing is that the listeners to the show, I wanted a chance to be able to, you know, to look at their photographs, to create a sort of community with it. So I created this Flickr pool where people were submitting images. And so each week what I would do is I would choose about three images to discuss some different aspect of photography, something about composition or something about lighting or, you know, whatever I, I wanted to riff on. And... Um, Olaf, when I met, I interviewed Olaf earlier in the year. We really hit it off. And, you know, we, we met in Paris and we just chatted. And I felt like this guy is really, um, we both got each other because we both are on the same wavelength in terms of how we see, how we photograph, with our shared passion for photography. And I was talking to him just casually. And I said, you know, you should, we should do something together. Let's try this little thing where I'll pull images like I usually do, but rather than just me riffing, let's me and you talk about these photographs. And I, I chose five photographs, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite the experience. It was uh, 
so far from what I've, the responses that I've seen have been really favorable, but we're just, you know, waiting to see, to gauge the interest right? and whether or not we can make this sort of semi regular thing. I don't think it'll happen on a weekly basis or anything like that, just because we're both incredibly busy. But if I could do it once a month, that would be good. So if people uh, check it out, they like what they see, and they can go to the YouTube channel, which you can include in the links in your, oh, in sure, your show sure. notes. And then if people like what they're seeing there, just let us know, because it's really going to be uh, the responses that we get that really kind of determine whether or not we um, continue doing this. I think but it's I an awesome pre- format. I love it. I'm, it's great. And uh, the, the community aspect, of course, that's, yeah, that's gold. So you have to keep doing this. Yeah. Uh, so, so you've um, written several books. Uh, Chasing the Light uh, is one I remember. You also did a master class on Photoshop, and uh, I think you wrote a book with uh, Vincent Laforet. Yeah, mm-hmm. about his time at the New York Times. Right, and uh, you have just come out with a new book. Um, we have the same publisher, Rocky Nuke. And uh, the new book, um, I have it here. I'm holding it up. No one can see it because it has a podcast. But um, I uh, this is this is uh, this is awesome. Making photographs, developing a personal visual workflow. Um, who's it for? That's my first question. Who should uh, read the well, book? Well, I imagined it was for was the kind of photographer that I was once which was a photographer who had invested in a bunch of equipment who went out and made photographs, may have learned stuff from books or, you know, occasional class or maybe even a workshop and yet found themselves frustrated with the fact that they couldn't make good pictures consistently. They would make a good photograph every once in a while, but they wouldn't be able to really consciously repeat the effort. Uh And, and, and they felt like it was more luck or having a good camera that resulted in, in them making a picture just because they just didn't have a really firm grasp of not only how they were handling the camera, but also in terms of what they were seeing. And I was seeing this reflected in my in my workshops, especially when it came to our critique sessions, which I always do. And I would have my students come to me and say, after we'd gone out doing the field work, oh, I didn't get anything good. It was, you know... It probably all the stuff sucked. And I would sit there, and every time I would see really good images produced by these students, but they didn't have the voca- visual vocabulary to understand what they were doing right. Okay. And this week session, they saw it. And so I felt like if I can translate what I do in the workshops to help them sort of develop that way of seeing and approaching photography, then it would make an interesting book and that's what you you have in your hands now so the the subtitle is developing a personal visual workflow this is the first time i hear the visual workflow that term what exactly do you mean by that i know technical workflows like you put pictures in lightroom and then you know have a technical workflow and i think a lot of the people listening to this are fairly good with the technical side of thing but what is a visual workflow for me a visual workflow is a way of breaking down the way that you see so for me, when I go out and I, regardless of what I'm photographing, I don't literally go out and go, okay, I'm going to photograph a, a pretty girl or a chair or a landscape or whatever it is. I don't think about literally what I'm going to photograph. What I consider is what I call um, 
visual draws. I evaluate light and shadow, line and shape, color and gesture. So by breaking down a scene or subject based on those elements, I have a systematic way of, of looking at it and interpreting how it's going to be rendered in a photograph. So if I come upon a scene and say it's, I'm going to take a portrait of someone. I'm not just going to make a portrait of them just standing where they are and be oblivious to everything, including the light and what's in the background. I'll take a look and go, what's the light like? Oh, it's 12 o'clock noon. I got this light overhead. So it's going to get these harsh shadows underneath the eyes and the chin. It's going to be very unflattering. Let me move them into an area of open shade where I'm getting some light reflected um, from, say, that skyscraper uh, across the street. And then I'll consider the background and I think what lines and shapes and colors are here that might serve not only as a good backdrop for the subject, but might serve as a counterpoint to something that they're wearing. And then the last thing would be like just the, the gesture, the, the way they hold their hands or the lilt of their head. So it's breaking everything down into those graphic elements. And that allows you to make really conscious choices about how you photograph, and what choices you make to ensure that you get a really good composition in photograph. So does that, does that end up becoming a bit more of a structured approach to photography, a bit more of a, um, yeah, bring more structure into the whole thing, which is what workflow implies for me? Yeah, it, it, it starts off as a fairly formal way of being able to sort of break it down. But as you practice it, it becomes an intuitive and natural part. It's just like learning to play a guitar or any sort of instrument. At first, you're let's say it's a guitar, you're pretty much concerned with the placement of your fingers on the neck and on the chords and the strumming and the plucking. And so each, each transition from one note or one chord to another is, has you focus almost exclusively on the physicality of your placement on the on the instrument in order to get the sound that you want. But after a while, as you practice it, it becomes an invisible process. You are just, your hands are just moving. You don't even have to take a look at what's happening. You just start making music. And so the same applies to photographies. It's understanding the basic core elements of what makes a good photograph being conscious of them and making conscious choices and then practicing them to a degree where that becomes so intuitive, so natural that you're not even thinking about it. That for me personally, these are choices that I make even before I've made the first exposure. Because as I would come upon a scene, I'm looking at the light, I'm looking at line and shape, I'm looking at color and my brain is processing all those choices and I'm immediately deciding what do I include, what do I exclude from the frame. So when I start making the photographs, it's just small refinements. But without that sort of breakdown, what I see often happening is that people will see something that they're interested in photographing. They'll raise the camera and they'll press the button and they'll have documented what was in front of them. But later on, when they open up the image on the computer, they don't notice that there was this white car in this background that ruined the shot or a pole growing out of this, someone's head or that the light sucked. And it's about being conscious and present when you're making the photographs. And I think that having this visual workflow is really the means by which 
you can train yourself to become a better seer and a better photographer. I think the, the 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 most important term I heard you was conscious, a conscious thing, because that's the development that I've seen uh, with myself over time. The the subconscious, kind of the from the gut kind of photography, which, as you said, gives you the, those nuggets of gold every now and then, but it's hard to reproduce them. And the moment you start making this a more conscious thing, um, you start learning, and then after a certain amount of making it conscious, where sometimes I think photography might even become a bit too static, a bit too formulaic. And then uh, after you incorporated that and after this becomes second nature and you kind of let go of that of that thinking and do more of an intuition thing, um, that's that's when it really happens. Yeah, because I, I, I lead up the, the, the chapter in the book talking about that the great thing about photography is how easy it is to make a photograph, but it's also the thing that makes it the most difficult Because unlike any other art form, you can't immediately pick up a guitar or a paintbrush and make anything resembling anything worth anything, right? But with a camera, you just press a button and you've taken a photograph. But what I'm suggesting is a way of transitioning from a really passive way of taking pictures to a more conscious way of making pictures. Right. Um, so if I'm a new reader of the book and I pick it up, um, is there like a preferred way to work with the book? Is that something, is it more of a linear thing or would it be, would it lend itself to jumping around in it, going back and forth between different chapters? The way I, I wrote it was more of a linear, linear thing, though I'm sure that you could probably pop into pockets. Um, but I basically sort of build um, each subsequent chapter based on what uh, went previously. And and one of the things that I really wanted to do with, with the book was make it more personal than any book that I'd written before, which is why I uh, lead into each chapter with a photograph and the story behind the photograph, because I wanted to share my thought process when I was making the photographs to give people a, a sort of a sense of what it is like to be in my head when I'm making all of these choices. And part of what I also do is, is really go into the emotional part of being a photographer and being creative and the, the challenges that you face because of insecurity and self-doubt and all those myriad That's of things. That's a big topic, that, yeah. Yeah, that can weave them, <laughs> lead themselves into the the process of making photographs because I never saw that discussed anywhere, especially in instructional books. It was always just strictly technical. But for anybody who's a photographer who's been doing this for any period of time, that that emotional part um, is part and parcel of being creative. And I really wanted to address it. And I and the only way I could do it and give it and do it justice was to, you know, put myself out there and say, okay, this is what I go through, not only with respect to how I see and use a camera, but the, the emotional challenges that I sometimes face trying to do just that. So uh, that part, um, the, does the book also go at least in some areas into the technical side of photography? I can see you, how you're writing about, about post-processing and, And culling and evaluating photographs. So yeah, yeah. It's the the book is infused with all uh, um, all of that all of that stuff. So you know, I go into how you know an awareness of say light, for example, in shadow informs 
your choices in terms of using ISO and uh, a reasonable shutter speed in order to keep things sharp and your white balance. So I make that that connection between how you're observing a scene with respect to those visual qualities and how that translates to the settings on your camera so that you can make an informed choice rather than just blindly setting your camera to fully auto mode or just setting it to you know, a certain setting just because some other photographer has done it. You know, you have, you have an idea of why you're, you're making those choices. And then with respect to post-processing, you know, I, I go through the whole, the whole idea of, okay, how do you apply everything that I've told you about making the photographs and how do you apply them when you're sitting down and trying to call your images and choose which ones are the better images? Because, that's probably the hardest part of uh, being a photographer is looking at the dozens, if not hundreds of pictures that you've taken and try to figure out which ones are the good ones. Well, if you use those same ideas of just looking at light and shadow, line and shape, color and gesture, and you use that same criteria that you used when you were making the photographs to consider which ones are the better images, it becomes easier to figure out which ones are the best ones. And the culling process in the way that I describe it in in the book using Lightroom is my own personal approach of being able to do a really fast pass on the images, picking the ones that I like, and then using the compare tool in Lightroom to compare similar images. And by looking at the subtle differences between each frame, figuring out which one is the, the best shot. So is there anything specific that triggered you to write this book or did it just, was it just more of a natural uh, progression. I'm I'm interested because I I write myself and it's the, the writing process and how to get into that is always interesting for me and I kind of like to give my listeners a bit of a a look behind the scenes if possible. This is the first book I've written in three years and I was just determined that the next book I wrote would be a book I really wanted to write and. Um, as a result of teaching the workshops, it became clear to me that this this was a book that was needed and that wasn't out there. But more importantly, I wanted to write it. And once I figured out my approach, especially leading into each chapter with a picture and a story, it just became probably the most pleasurable and satisfying writing experience I've ever had after writing six books. Um, <laughs> I really just enjoyed it. It wasn't like pulling teeth. It, it, I didn't go through the usual drama that I go through anytime I sit down to, to, to write a book. So I, I think know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I think that it's been really clear to me that any book that I write subsequently, I am going to have to be very passionate about passionate about the subject and the approach I'm going to take in terms of writing it. Because uh, if you don't have that, man, it is painful <laughs> <laughs> it can be yeah. yeah did did it take you three years to write it or was it oh. a, a decision that took so long and then the writing just happened by itself yeah yeah once i decided to to write the book and i signed the contract with rocky nook it didn't take me very long at all um to write it i think the most time-consuming part was the revisions because I was, I was just so I, I I knew exactly what I would want. So each time I wrote a chapter, I must have gone over those chapters half a dozen times. Yeah. <laughs> I don't finding 
eras that I'd missed before, but just in terms of just just the flow of everything. And now, even now, even when I look at the book now, I'm thinking, oh my god, I should have talked about this. I should have uh, you can't about you this. can't be too self-critical. That's that's the thing. You have to draw a line at one point with any creative process. There is an end, and you have to define when that is. And yeah. otherwise, it was, it's never going to come to an end. <laughs> but it was good for me because it allowed me to sort of turn uh, the lens onto myself and to really understand what right. my process is. Because you know, you, you never really think about it when you're shooting and you're editing images. It's just you just do it. But when you have to share it with someone, especially in writing, you really have to be very conscious about every little thing that you're doing because you know they're going to be looking at it word for word. You know, and following that, so you have to make sure that you're not overlooking something just because it comes so naturally to you. Oh, very true. I, I think that's one of the things that that uh, writing a book helps you put yourself back into those beginner shoes and try to, um, yeah, try to look at everything with fresh eyes. Which parts of the book are the ones that were like the the ones you like most, or are there any parts in the book that came really difficult? that were really hard to put together? The, the ones that I liked the most were always the introductions to the chapters. You know, where I would pick a picture and then I would just tell the story. I would just go back to that moment that I would make the photograph. Uh, it made starting each chapter, um, the you know, the walls were greased, man. It was just like, as soon as I went in there and started telling a story, I didn't have to think about being uh, really precise in terms of technical stuff and all this stuff i would just get into it and then just the momentum of writing those stories just naturally took me into the the rest of the uh, rest of the chapter because i was really a energized by the time i wrote those initial three pages that i just i just kept typing that's good because if, if i had to go in and start a chapter talking about f-steps and shutter speed <laughs> um, i'd be killing myself you've done that enough <laughs> Enough. But I also be second guessing myself because okay, am I describing this correctly? And but by doing it in the way that I did it, it just it just naturally flowed. Especially since I wanted to keep a a consistent voice um, throughout the book, so it, it really served me in terms of nailing the voice every time I started a, a chapter that just naturally progressed into all the technical stuff that I was writing. Cause I didn't want a book where it just felt dry, you know, where you just felt like I read this before. Let me skip it. I, I wanted myself and especially the readers to be invested in this being sort of a cohesive, cohesive whole. And then, and understanding that all the stuff, uh, has made an incredible difference in my photography and it can in theirs. So uh, one thing I like about it is that you end every chapter with an assignment. Mm -hmm. So you have, um, how many are there? 21, no, 20 chapters with different areas and um, every every single one ends with, a, with an assignment, which I think as a good educator, that's... Uh, That's what's expected from you, right? Yeah, yeah, and I have a bunch of different exercises at the, uh, in the one of the last chapters um, where people can just go out and play. Um, and yeah, those, the idea of simply reading something and not 
you know, and not taking some action makes that information worthless. Because if you don't immediately apply it, it just fades into the wind. Very right? true. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, that's what I tell my students in my workshop. I say, once I'm done here with you guys, you guys have to go shoot immediately in the next couple of days and shoot. Because if you wait three weeks, what you're going to do is you're just going to fall back on your old bad habits. And you won't have gained anything. The, the workshop or the book, all that will have served is provided you maybe, maybe a couple of better images than you would have before. But the thing with photography is because so many of us are self-taught, we have all learned some really bad habits. Very you true, know? yes. And, and those bad habits are, are hampering our ability to make good photographs consistently. So it's important that whether you buy a book or attend a workshop or walk, watch a video lecture, whatever it is, you have to immediately go out and apply it. And yes, you're going to make more bad photographs because the techniques and the approaches are not familiar to you. But that's a good thing because you'll be learning and you'll be seeing an improvement as a result of taking the action, of going out there and practicing these skills. And when you start seeing it improve your photography, you become even more encouraged to take risks, to try things differently than, than you're accustomed to, to doing. And that's where the growth comes. Otherwise, you know, if you just are happy just taking pictures and posting on Instagram and getting likes, regardless of whether or not you actually improve as a photographer, you know, go to it. I mean, there's no shame in just having pleasure, taking pleasure in making, you know, taking photographs. But if you listen to this podcast or mine, I suspect that you want something more from your photography than that. And it's finding the means to get better, to challenge yourself, is what's absolutely necessary for any kind of growth. Very cool. So the new book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow by Barry Nix Pirello, is out now in bookstores everywhere, I suppose. And uh, is there anything... Anything I missed? Anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to talk about? No, I no, you asked me some good questions. So I think we, you know, we covered it. And just to let people know, um, we are offering a discount code for the book if they order it from the Rocky Nook website. So if they go to the Rocky Nook website at rockynook.com and they use the promo code Porello, which is my last name, 40, Porello, P-E-R-E-L-L-O, the number 40, at checkout, they'll get 40% off the list price of the book. Very cool. Um, where would I send people if they want to find out more about you and your photography? Uh, they can either go to thecandidframe.com, where they'll find the podcast and my website, or they can go to abodynx.net, which is uh, the same, same location, but the Candid Frame is easier to spell. All right. And of course, we will link to your YouTube channel with a new series and your your photo community. Yeah, right. that's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Chris, always. All right, that was it for this episode of Tips from the Top. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for listening. And of course, um, thanks for your reviews again. If you do a review on the sh off, on off the show on iTunes, that's 
best signal for everyone else to listen to the show. Um, that's 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 what keeps us visible. Um, if you like the episode, yeah, give it a rating, give it a star, or support it any other way. Patreon is great. Word of mouth is great. I'm very grateful for all your support and every bit helps. More at tfttf.com slash support. And also, thanks again to everyone who participated in the Silhouette Challenge. Really great stuff this time. I'm so happy that you guys uh, like doing this and uh, keep doing it. Matt has given us a new challenge and I want you to be part of it. Now, I told you I'll be traveling for the next, well, six weeks. Actually, right after that, I'll go on another two-week tour. But um, I'll do my best to bring you regular updates. Uh, no promises, though. I, I do have my good microphone packed. I have my, my laptop with me. I can record on the road. It's just a matter of how much time I'll have to do that. Um, but yeah, you'll find out here on this channel. And I'd appreciate if you could be a bit forgiving over the next few weeks. Thank you so much. Music for the show by Jeff Smith, Sound Partner, Hatsbury Cargo Publishing, and Slack Challenges by Release Pixie, Matt Rapsitor Armstead, Slack Invitations by Chief Invitation Officer, CIO Rusty Russ. The link to get on the Slack is in the show notes. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media, including Mastodon at Chris, M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Now go out, take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other and happy shooting. <laughs>